Hey there, chatters. I'm Nat. And I'm Kat. And welcome to the Crime Chat. I am your forensic femme fatale. Natalie is your true crime addict connoisseur. Ah, yes. And we are two girls who obsess about dark crimes, evil minds, and occasionally the unknown. And here's your disclaimer, chatters. The following crime chat contains adult content and descriptions of... Yeah, I guess potentially violent scenarios today. There's not a whole lot on this case as far as what happens, but we're going to yeah. all get into that. Either way, your listener discretion is still advised. You've been warned. And before we get into today's crime chat, Kat, what have you done? So Chris and I have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it uh-huh. finally came out where we could rent it. The movie Napoleon with Joaquin Phoenix. <gasps> okay, okay. Did you watch it? Yes. And it ma- reminded me how much I don't know about Napoleon. <laughs> really? Well, it re- well, it was a really, really good movie. I recommend it. We'll probably okay. watch it again. So uh, throughout the whole time, we're like, we're both of us are like doing. Did he do this? Did he do that? There's a so there's a lot of myths out there too, saying that whenever he took the French military into Egypt, that mm-hmm. they bombed the pyramids. That actually didn't happen. There's another okay. myth saying that he like stayed overnight or disturbed one of the mummy tombs, like of one of the I don't know, emperors or something like that. There's a lot of things like that that aren't necessarily true. And so it's two and a half hours long. Okay. And only about a third of the movie is actually based on fact. But it's, ah, uh, shit, what's the director's name? Alexa, who directed Napoleon. Napoleon was directed by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. Okay. So it was directed by Ridley Scott. So it's a uh, production wise, it's going to be like a great movie. Right. Super interesting. Joaquin Phoenix, amazing, amazing actor. Uh But we just found ourselves like the whole time looking up historical facts about it. Super interesting. I think we might have talked about this before, but at his autopsy, they took out his brain and his heart and they cut off his penis. Nobody knows why the medical examiner cut off his penis, but it eventually, like, went to the black market and was sold to, like, a bunch of different people. And it's in a museum, like, a French museum in New York City right now. His penis. His penis. His penis, yes. Are you kidding me? You've never heard that before? No. Yeah. Yeah. Holy crap. I had no – the more you know, Chatters. The more you you know. You can go see Napoleon's Ding Dong in Manhattan. Is it? Okay. (laughs) Somewhere in the city. It's a – Oh, my God. It's like a French history museum or something that's in New York City. Yeah. And what – when was he around? Like, what time frame? Late 18 – I'm trying to think when the French Revolution was. It was – it would have been in the – Ask Alexa. 17, 1800s. That Alexa, always listening. When was Napoleon around? According to an Alexa Answers contributor, Napoleon Bonaparte lived from August 15, 1769 until May 5, 1821. I was going to okay. say like 1800s, 1700s, yeah. He, well, okay. he ended up being getting exiled twice from France. Oh <laughs> After the first time, he actually broke out of the island, hijacked a ship, made right. back made it back to Paris, uh, was arrested, and then exiled again to a different island where it was literally, like, surrounded by ships so he couldn't escape again. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. That little crazy like, man. Yeah, yeah. And he actually wasn't as short as people, like, think he was. He was about... Five six, which is five oh. six to five eight, yeah, which isn't really that 
Sure. I mean, mean, Mm -hmm. maybe by today's standards or or whatever, but it's, yeah, he wasn't really that short, so... I wonder if that was complex thing. (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if that was like just a nasty rumor that somebody said about him, and it just stuck Mm -hmm. because people hated him at one point. There's so there was a lot of whenever we were looking it up during the movie, like looking up all historical facts. There was a lot of a lot of myths about him. We're just like, oh, okay, but his penis is in New York City, so. And then the other thing that we've been waiting and waiting and waiting to come out. That's so great. do you remember last year I was telling you about the documentary, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, yes. uh, the girl with dwarfism, and how her adoptive parents changed her age to make her an adult because uh-huh. or the, they thought that she was lying to them, uh-huh. that she was threatening their lives and the lives of their children. And right. it was – did you ever watch it? I didn't watch the documentary that you're speaking of, but I know of the story. I was watching mm-hmm. the case at one point. And, of course, that famous movie, Often, is about it. What is? Often. Orphan. Oh, often? <laughs> like, what is what that's is my often? Northern, that's, often? That's my northern accent. Orphan? Sorry. <laughs> orphan. <laughs> well, that, uh, well, they relate it to – they were when they were talking about the story, they were relating her to uh-huh. that character of the movie. Yeah, yeah. And they were saying that – she was standing at the edge of the bed with a knife like the little girl did in Orphan. Yeah. But what is crazy is uh-huh. the sequel came out and it's Natalia Speaks. So it's her side of the story. Oh. It's fucking insane. Wait a minute. Orphan? No, no. Natalia Grace. So The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, it, they came out with a sequel. Right. And it's Natalia Speaks. Oh, so okay. it's all about her side of the story. They actually get her and the adoptive father in a room together right. and yeah. start talking one thing that we could tell about it is a lot of it was scripted mm. like a lot of it was fed yeah. like do this do this react this way for good tv right get it right <laughs> what you can't deny is they ended up doing genetic testing on her mm-hmm. spoiler alert and she in fact was eight or nine years old when they emancipated her and made her live on her own oh. and in in a second floor apartment yeah. where she could barely make it up the stairs because of her medical disability. She couldn't reach, like, light fixtures, like the switches for the light. There was a lot of things. But anyways, she, no doubt, has been through a lot of trauma. Yeah. The adoptive father, Michael Barnett, is a fucking nutcase and yeah. drama queen. Yeah. Yeah. The adoptive mother has been part of any of the documentaries christine barnett but she is fucking insane and is a manipulative whore so there i said it (laughs) leave that there i'm just gonna leave that there but there's a reason why she hasn't spoken out is because there's no defense to her story no none and at all and also the court system did not help natalia one bit not one bit Wow. But where they ended it was she was being re-adopted by a different family who after you know, everything was happening about 10 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, t- taking her under their wing yeah. when she was really a teenager and just kind of helped her. And the very last, I think it's like six episodes. And the last episode, this other family, they're in the court mm-hmm. and the judge is going, okay, stamped, approved. Technically, she's an adult, but because she has a disability, she has to have, you know, guardianship, right? So technically, yep, your last name is no longer Barnett. It's, I think, Mans. Uh-huh. She was able to change her name. Uh-huh. 
they teased another documentary that's going to be coming soon because the in the last 30 seconds of the documentary, you've got the, the new adopted father man's, new adopted right. mother man's going, she's crazy. She's crazy. you got to get her out of here. And then they're like, mic drop. Psh, basically, come back for more later. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And where is that? Where can I watch that? HBO Max. Okay. I I wonder if she's got a lo- a lawsuit against the court that stated that she was of a certain age back that changed when. Your name? Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't know, but I know there's civil suits involved. There has to be because yeah. I mean it, it, that's that was a pretty big leap to go from mm-hmm. and it to a child to now she's in her twenties. Yeah, know. it was like a jump of about because she was only like eight or nine years old and when they legally changed her name or changed her age she was they made it 22 Uh so she was born in 2003 but they backdated her documents to say she was born in 1989 yeah that's huge that's huge years yeah somebody needs to be responsible because if the court didn't do that she would at least have been adopted out or or put in foster or something not alone in an apartment somewhere yeah and then there's like like the mom wouldn't pay the power bill, so, like, the, her power got cut off. I mean, they're in Illinois, and I think it was, like, in the middle of the summer, so it was it was hot. It was, mm. like, I don't know. Anyway, so two big updates, two big things that we've been waiting to come out, we finally got to see. So mm-hmm. what about you? Oh, so it's funny that you should mention Joaquin Phoenix because I just watched the movie The Joker. Have you seen that? I haven't. I want Mm. to, but I'm going to be honest. Mm. Jared Leto is my favorite Joker. He's the lead Mm. singer of 30 Seconds to Mars. He was on Suicide Squad, right? Yeah. I can't bring myself to watch another actor play Joker because I was fascinated the way he did it. He's phenomenal. Yes, he's a good actor. I like him. I mean, I like Joaquin Phoenix too, but I don't know. Yeah. Like I could – I'm like – I just – because – I don't know. Jared Leto just did an amazing job with playing the Joker. Yeah. I know all the Jokers have been, but like, I don't want to try another one because I don't want to be heartbroken. (laughs) Well, you won't be heartbroken. My favorite is, who was the guy that passed away? Heath Ledger. He was my favorite. Yeah. He was very good. I love the way he uh, depicted the Joker. But Joaquin Phoenix did, I think, an amazing performance of... Mm -hmm the beginnings of the joker so like mm-hmm. how it how it isn't so much so sinister it's not mm-hmm. really sinister it's not really like manipulative or like yeah. uh somebody who is just psychotic it has nothing to do with that it really is about depression and mental health okay and how he kind of progressively one mental health was his mother was suffering he was suffering and then just like the decomposition of the joker to where that moment where he changed over and just became this larger than life sinister guy and even even then like even the last five minutes of the movie it always reverted back to his mental health like he Mm -hmm. even said it like you know like i think he was i think the last scene of the movie was him on a tv show that he like idolized this one guy he's like johnny carson type of guy Mm-hmm. And he finally got on the show and because because he was a fool. He was acting like a fool. And mm-hmm. the, the guy, the talk, talk show host, wanted to make fun of him. And he just sat there and just listened to him. And he's like, you know, 
put it back on him and said, you know, you're you're the evil in this world. And he's like, what do you mean I'm evil? I have you on my show and I'm giving you an opportunity. He's like, because you're literally making fun of my mental health. And then oh. it just took off from there. Shit. And I'm like – it real he did a really good job, but it's not what you think it is. So it's not mm-hmm. like the typical Joker, okay. you know, where it's. I think a lot of the the actors that play that part kind of try to get very uh, uh, unique in a way where it's like uh, I don't know how to say it like crazy but vague. You know, I don't know how to ex- describe it's it. It's just but like they, their own rendition of how they understand the Joker character to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's edgy. Like the, everybody brings a certain edge oh, to it. Yeah. yeah, this was not edgy. This was like legit somebody who was suffering the Mm -hmm. whole movie. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. It was a little bit of a roller coaster, but my favorite is Heath Ledger. Like I love when I saw him. So the first, when I saw that movie, when he, after he passed away, like within the minute that movie was released, Mm -hmm. he passed away like right before it was released. Yeah. And I remember opening night, I went to see it. I, at the time I was living in on 10th Avenue Mm -hmm. and I went to see it and there was a line like wrapped around the block and Mm -hmm. eventually we got on it like at three o'clock we got in the movie theater at eight got in there and the speakers broke because the movie was playing for hours and hours and hours that the theater speakers fried and broke and they had to get like say okay come back tomorrow and we'll have a new set and and we we got to watch it the next day but it's pretty spectacular movie. Yeah, yeah, that one is a good movie. I agree. The other movie I watched was You Got Me Hooked. I was like, when I saw it, saw it on Netflix, I'm like, I have to watch it again. It's the Murder on the Orient Express. Yes. yes. When you told me about that new movie that came out, I'm like, all right, I gotta just revisit the old one, and I forgot how freaking good the old one was. Yes. Holy yeah. crap, cat! Like that was it's, a fucking good movie. It's great. <laughs> yes. That's one of my, and I, I love. I like that one because there's Michelle Pfeiffer, Johnny Depp. Who else is in it? Like the names are all like, escaping me. Um, Kenneth Branigan or Br- uh, Brenna. Yeah, yeah. That plays the detective. Yeah, mm-hmm. but there's so there's a lot of a lot of characters or a lot of like yeah actors that are take part in that. But I, I think that's like kind of the part of the theme too. Is he just kind of finds himself in a, a group of people and lo and yeah. behold, somebody dies and Detective Perot. Do you remember who played him in the 1972? Do you remember no. who Detective Pura was? No. I don't know who that actor was. Is Ask Alexa. Alexa. Let me tell you something. <laughs> who played Hercules Perot in 1972? According to an Alexa Answers contributor, in the television series, Kevin Sorbo played Hercules. Oh, oh we're talking about the Hercules TV show. <laughs> okay. Alexa's getting freaky. She's on my phone now. So I Googled something before mm-hmm. and it automatically I got an ad for it on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, same. Oh, my God. All right. Well, Kat, before you get into your story. Yes. I figured we haven't had a trivia intro in a long time and I haven't tested you in a long time and I want to make sure that, you know, your knives are sharp at all times. I just wanted okay? to do an intro on crimes that happen at concerts. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> You know, I was now gonna. Do, I was gonna. Quiz. While I was trying to do the intro on that, mm-hmm. I was. I started looking at murders that happen at concerts and and things like that. But then I'm like, you know what? I haven't tested Cat in a while, and I have to make sure she's still. You know, her her her. Uh, what do you call it? Her crime chat spidey sense. I have to make sure it's still sharp. Okay. <laughs> okay. So here we go. <laughs> I have no idea this is coming, so here we go. All right, here we go. 
Which serial killer enjoyed dressing up as a clown and working for charity events? Oh, John Wayne Gacy. Very good. Ding, 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 ding. Very good. You're going to get most of these, but some of them may, may trip you up. Okay. All right. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre mm-hmm. is associated with which famous criminal? Al Pacino. Very good. Very good. And Bugsy Moran. All right. That's right. We did that. We did that in season one for Valentine's the first, Day. Yep. The first Valentine's Day coverage. We did the Valentine's Day Massacre. Yep. All right. Number three. Which is the most prolific serial killer in United States history? Tricky. I mean, Ted Bundy comes to mind. Jeffrey Dahmer comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of this guy. I'm telling you, this one's going to trip you up. I'm guessing it's not one of those. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You'll know him. You want a hint? Sure. Okay. What's the color of money? Oh, over the Green River Killer? Very good. Really? Okay. Yes. Yeah. I would not have thought about that. That was Gary Ridgway. Gary Ridgway, yeah. And he is the American serial killer known for the Green River. He's known as the Green River Killer. He was initially convicted for of 48 separate murders uh, committed between 1980 and 1990. And they found him through DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think you may have mentioned him once before. I think before. so, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. In Chicago, the criminal H.H. H. Holmes had a house in Chicago, mm-hmm. which eventually bore the nickname. Do you want the three suggestions sure. of the nickname? Okay. <laughs> Multiple, Multiple choice. Multiple choice. First one, the dungeon. Uh-huh. Second one, the murder castle. Uh-huh. Or third one, Fraudville. I think it was murder castle, wasn't it? Very good. Ding, yeah. ding, ding, ding. All right, next question. Which serial killer claims that a demonic dog commanded him to commit murder? Oh, I know I know that one. How's, how's my nose look? I'm looking up. You're looking at my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's. Oh, my God. David Berkowitz. Oh, gosh. That's right. Yeah. Also known as the Son of Sam. Son of Sam. Yeah. And the forty-four caliber killer. Mm-hmm. He w- he pled guilty to eight shootings that began in New York City in ni- uh, 1976. Yeah. All right. Next question. How did the angel of death kill most of his elderly patients? Did he drug them? Did he smother them? Did he drain their blood? Drain their blood. He drugged them. He drugged them. Yeah. Yeah. The Angel of Death. This is the guy that was, he was the doctor for Auschwitz. Oh. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't put his name because I, I figured that would be another crime chat that we could do because that's pretty dark. Yeah. All right. Next one. What was the IQ of the trash bag killer who confessed to 32 murders? Now, this is a reference also to another crime chat that we did because we did cover this. The trash Not cover. Bag? We spoke about him. Okay. Think about the Exorcist episode. Mm-hmm. At the end, we spoke about this guy. He actually was an actor, and he did. He had a performance in The Exorcist. Yeah. And he's also possibly an influence for Dexter. Uh-huh. So what do you think his IQ was? Oh, like 130, 135? 180. Holy shit. Yeah, so he's smart, but he's not as, like, Kemper smart. Yeah. Well, Kemper was smart. Kemper was 145. I thought he was higher. No. Uh-uh. I thought he was like 185. No. So he's smarter than Kemper? Get the hell out of here. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> All right. All right. So Patrick Wayne Kearney is also known as the trash bag killer and the freeway killer. Mm-hmm. He was into necrophilia and murder, and he murdered 21 men during 1970s. Okay. Next one. 
William Herons became famous for leaving messages written in what? Blood? Very, no! You went over this case. Herons? William, oh, lipstick, Her the lipstick killer. Lipstick killer, oh, okay. yes. I, the name didn't, didn't, I didn't hit the, like, it didn't, I didn't get it. <laughs> but Herons, And the yeah. last, the last one, serial killer Ted Bundy worked, uh, once worked for which organization? A, a funeral home, B, a suicide prevention hotline, or C, a heart hospital? A suicide prevention hotline. Very yeah. good. I remember that. Good job, Kat. Good job. <laughs> a C student. I'll see my way good. out. And <laughs> <laughs> now you did good. You did good. Well, I know we kind of teased this story. It's a unsolved case. It is still currently open, and it's actually a Chatter request. So Chatter Debbie, shout out to Debbie. Hey, Debbie. A huge supporter of yes. our crime chat. We love she Debbie. recommended this case, and it's an unsolved missing persons case from more than three decades ago from Columbia, South Carolina, just oh. down the road. In researching this case, there are some several additional cases that was, like, really interesting to me mm -hmm. that we might need to cover, put it on our, our to-do list, but we'll have to save that for another time. So buckle up, kitty cats. Here we go. In the early morning hours of September 24th, 1992, 23-year-old woman went missing from a nightclub in the downtown Columbia, South Carolina area after attending a U2 concert on the evening of Wednesday, September 23rd. Dale Dinwiddie and a group of friends left the concert and went to an establishment called Jungle Gyms in the Five Points area of Columbia. Now, Five Points is often frequented by college students. It's mm. kind of really close to the USC campus. Right. A lot of college students, young adults, abundance of restaurants, stores, nightclubs, bars, you name it. Mm -hmm. Popular area. And as we've talked about in the previous episode, Columbia is part of the Midlands area of South Carolina, mm -hmm. and it's only about an hour away from where I live. So around 1.15 a.m., a Jungle Gyms employee had a conversation with Dale until about 1.30 a.m. Typical for this area, there was a huge crowd out and about taking in the Five Points nightlife. The employee saw her leave, but later would find her purse left in the nightclub. So oh. she accidentally left her purse behind. Okay. But Dale was nowhere to be seen. She didn't come back for her purse, and she was vanished. She just was gone. When parents Dan and Jean Dinwiddie woke up around 6 a.m., they noticed Dale hadn't come home. Her lights and radio were on in her bedroom, but her bed had not been slept in. Her father called around to her friends. No one had seen her. By 8.30 in the morning, September 24th, they called police to report her their only daughter missing. Oh, my God. Now, Dale Boxley Dinwiddie was born April 12, 1969, to parents Dan and Jean Dinwiddie. She was the only child for some time and was raised in a very loving home. She was seven years old when her brother Drew was born. She was somewhat reserved but held an engaging personality, and it was said that she had a cheerful spirit, was full of laughter. Dale had developed severe asthma and allergies as a child and required twice-weekly injections and the use of an inhaler to help control her condition, uh -huh. but this would not stop her ambitions. By the age of 10, she fell in love with horses and began horseback riding lessons, and Dale and her mother, Jean, they bonded over this and would often ride together for many, many years. 
Dale's horse's name was Double Time. Aww. <laughs> and uh, she kept Double Time until she graduated high school. She was small, very petite, only five foot, less than 100 pounds. And despite her small size, Dale could be feisty and upbeat. She was also considered smart, focused, and compassionate. The type of person that people wanted to be around because of her charm and her charisma. She graduated from Heathwood Hall Episcopal School, which was considered a biting commitment to building strong relationships between students and teachers, allowed us to meet each child where they are in their education and development history, and is located in the heart of Columbia. Mm. Dale earned a history degree in the spring of 1991 from Randolph-Macon Women's College. That college is now called Randolph College, and it, it was for women only it's now co-ed and that changed in 2006 Mm -hmm. but after college dale moved back home to columbia she had a difficult time finding a job and i guess it had a lot to do with the economy like in the early 90s of Mm -hmm. that around that time so she moved to charlotte north carolina and we talked about charlotte's only about an hour north of columbia (laughs) she did find a job but this only lasted about six months before the company she worked for went out of business Because she was so close to her family, she went ahead and moved back home to Columbia. She planned on enrolling in the University of Columbia's for graduate school. Uh And this was at the time of her disappearance. So she was enrolled, but she hadn't started yet. Okay. In the meantime, she would take kind of odd jobs here and there, babysitting, you know, anything that she could do to kind of help get money. And she also volunteered at the Columbia Museum of Art. Dale told family and friends that she'd hoped the job market would improve by the time that she finished graduate school, and this would open a lot more doors for her to having a graduate degree. Mm-hmm. She was excited when a friend of hers called her to join a group, a group of their friends to attend the U2 concert at the University of South Carolina's William Bryce Stadium, and that's mm-hmm. like the, where the, the football team, the USC Gamecocks, that's where they play. Okay. U2 were on their Zoo TV tour. Following the release of Octone Baby. I just, you know what? It's funny that you said Gamecocks because now all I can think of is Napoleon. Oh. That's coming. It's like our theme tonight. I don't know. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Uh, This was after hits like Mysterious Ways and One. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great songs for me too. Yeah. As you can imagine with U2's popularity at the time in the early 90s, the concert sold out. It had more than 28,000 people in attendance, and the show ended a little after 11 p.m. on the night of September 23rd. But the night was still young. Dale and her friends did what kids their age do. Yep. They go to parties some more, so they headed to the Five Points area. As I mentioned, several clubs and bars in this area, and really within walking distance, in this, you can walk anywhere kind of in this area. Jungle Gyms was more popular with the locals. It was kind of like a hidden gem. Not too many college students. and I mean, like a big university, there's a lot of people from out of state that would attend. But this one was really popular with the locals. It had more of a like a laid back atmosphere, very friendly environment. Dale and her friends were drinking, talking, you know, just having a good time, enjoying their early 20s. Mm Mm-hmm. Slowly, the group started to get smaller and smaller. People kind of started leaving, going home, and, she, and eventually she found herself alone, like by herself in the bar. Oh, no. Never leave your girlfriends alone at a bar. Yeah. Ever. Well, while it was said Dale's friends that they did look for her, yeah. they couldn't find her. 
So they thought that she got a ride or maybe called her parents to come and pick her up, which was a common occurrence. Yeah. Like she would, she had that relationship with her parents where it didn't matter what time of night it was. If you need a ride, I'll come get you. Uh-huh. Dale, unfortunately, would miss her friends before they all went on their own ways. And she did briefly speak with the bouncer, asked if he had seen her friends, and she talked with him for a few minutes, went outside, looked around for a little bit, came back in, talked to him a little bit longer. It is believed the last sighting of Dale was between 1.15 and 1.30 in the morning as she was talking to the bouncer and then leaving Jungle Gyms. Okay. Dale just seemed to vanish in thin air and has never been seen again. Oh, my God. Dale's father, Dan, I mentioned, woke up as usual in the morning to go let their dog out. The dog slept in the brother Drew's room. When he went to let the dog out, he walked past Dale's bedroom. He heard some noises and he opened the door to see the light on and the radio was on. Uh-huh. This was unusual, but what really caught his attention was that the bed was still made, it, and it was obvious that it hadn't been slept in. It was very, very unusual for her to not be in her bed this early in the morning. Uh-huh. Dan then woke his wife, Jean, and said it appeared Dale hadn't come home last night. They tried calling around to Dale's friends, and they would say either they hadn't seen her or if they were with her that night, the last time they saw her was between 12.30 and 1 a.m. Dale was extremely responsible, and if she was ever running late or planned to go anywhere, she always let her parents know where she was going. She was also aware that if she ever needed a ride, like she would let her parents know. Uh They would drive to meet her anywhere at any time. After calling around to Dale's friends for about two hours and becoming more and more concerned with each dead end, Dan and Jean decided to report Dale missing. Now, initially, the police were not as concerned about Dale being missing. Since Dale attended the concert, went out with some friends, the police assumed that she crashed with a friend and maybe just neglected to let her parents know. Dan and Jean, however, said, no, yeah, that's not our daughter. This is highly, highly unusual behavior. Dale never stayed out without calling, certainly would not have gone this long in the morning without either coming home or, or calling to let us know where she was. Mm-hmm. Everyone who knew Dale knew she would not have run away. Yeah. She hated being alone. She was kind of like the safety person. Like, you never leave your girlfriends. Like, she would never leave anybody behind. And it just happened to be that she kind of found herself alone at that time. Yeah. Finally, police did decide to take the report and assigned an investigator named Harold Chambers. He was known to be very determined and dedicated investigator. And all these years later, the Dinwiddies still credit Chambers to his relentless work and basically got really close to the family and kind of became considered a member of the Dinwiddie family. From the beginning of the investigation, it would prove to be very, very difficult. No one saw Dale when she left Jungle Gyms. Then Chief of Columbia Police Department Charles Austin said in the state newspaper, I mentioned the state newspaper before, it's like the Columbia, South Carolina newspaper called The State. Uh He was in the newspaper saying, quote, we don't have a crime scene. We don't even know if a crime has been committed, end quote. Oh, boy. While there's no evidence necessarily of a crime, it was clear that Dale wasn't the type of person to just walk away, Uh let alone walk away on her own. And it was evident disappearing was not a conscious choice to her. Uh A thorough and exhaustive search continued in and around jungle gyms. Police knew they had Dale's purse, but they found little, if anything, else. Now, this happened in 1992, Uh before social media, before the internet boom, before surveillance cameras were a thing, you know, outside and inside of businesses. Exactly what I was thinking, too. I'm like, wait a minute. How does somebody just disappear? Yeah. Wow. 
The only thing that Dinwiddie's could do was to be interviewed, yeah. get as much publicity on the news and in the newspapers as much as possible just to kind of like get her message out to say, hey, have you seen her? And soon the entire state was aware of Dale missing. The Columbia police treated Dinwiddie's disappearance as a kidnapping, since everyone who knew her said it would be very uncharacteristic of her to leave without warning. She's described as a cautious person who did not like to be out alone. Dale, I mentioned, was a babysitter. It was one of the jobs, like odd jobs that she did. Uh And she was a nanny to a lady named Kathleen Parker's then five-year-old son. Now, Kathleen actually helped arrange an area where volunteers would gather answering phones, passing out flyers with Uh Dale's picture on it. Flyers went up everywhere in Columbia and beyond. Students in the area passed out flyers, held up signs to help bring awareness. Uh Truckers even passed out flyers to the various states whenever they would go there. Yeah. Dale's story was actually also on America's Most Wanted. Oh, it was? But but it only ran for like a one-minute segment. (sighs) Because they, there's nobody that they, they're not looking. They don't know who to look for. Yeah. But hey, have you seen this person? Oh, yeah. You know, John Walsh would have gone on and said, this person's missing from Columbia, South Carolina. I didn't actually see it. I read that it was on America's Most Wanted, but it was only on for a minute. Mm. But even then, national television, yeah. you know. So police continued to work diligently mm. and received more than 300 tips within the first 10 days. Wow. They received information of a man forcing a woman into a vehicle on the night of Dale's disappearance in the same area. Police tracked down this man, and it was discovered the woman was his girlfriend. Police were also able to speak with the woman who confirmed the incident. Investigator Chambers said, quote, It sounded good to start with. We thought we had it, but it fizzled out on us like so many more have. Mm. End quote. As police followed up with lead after lead, none of the tips would pan out in helping further the investigation. They interviewed more than 100 people, although nobody had more information than what police already knew. Wow. A few weeks after the disappearance, U2 even showed Dale's picture on the large screen in one of their concerts and gave details about the case to see if they could help. Basically, throughout the state, you couldn't go anywhere without hearing Dale's name or seeing her picture. A nonprofit organization called the Dale Dinwiddie Safe Streets Foundation was created and dedicated to helping police and families find missing loved ones. They also educate young adults and bring awareness to the buddy system. Uh While there were very rarely ever any happy endings, some of the victims were found dead, others in jail. Families had a means of sharing their story, reaching out to their loved ones, and basically get help in spreading the word. Unfortunately, this organization did dissolve as volunteers just kind of moved on, had other things coming up. Some of them got married, had kids, you know, like, and Dale's story just really began to dwindle. The South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, or SLED, we've talked about them several times as well, Mm -hmm. is the state-level law enforcement agency. They got involved. And spokesman Hugh Munn said, quote, it's just been an awful lot of rumors of bodies being found in various locations, but there's nothing to it. It's very typical of these types of cases, end quote. The Richland County Sheriff's Office and the FBI would also be involved. The, now, the lead was the Columbia Police Department. It was in within the city's district. Okay. Columbia proper is located also, it's split between two counties, Lexington County, which is on the west side, and Richland County, which is on the east side. Richland County is right next to Sumter County, where I live. Okay. I'm just putting it in perspective, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So Richland County got involved, and then the FBI. Unfortunately, running down the leads was very time-consuming and frustrating with all the dead ends that they ran into. They searched sewer systems, abandoned houses, 
went off of any tips that people would tell them. But there just, there was nothing. Yeah. I mean, just absolutely nothing. A benefit concert was held at Jungle Gyms to raise money for a reward to somebody who may know information. Uh I think it was, they raised like $50,000. Wow. Despite this offer, no one came forward to offer any more information than what they already had. Most of the calls that police received were tips on unknown individuals who appeared strange or shady, who may have been in the area that night. Like, hey, I I saw this one guy. He was really weird. I don't know who he was. Yeah. Very undescriptive. Yeah. This details. I really hope this story ends on a happy note because this is very like this. I, I feel terrible for this girl right now and it's this so family. Un- un- it's unsolved. It can't uh, be happy. <laughs> you're breaking my heart. Oh, my God. Okay. Needless to say, none of these leads were connected to Dale that they could find. Allegedly, police also consulted psychics regarding a location of where maybe her or her body might be. Yeah. But there was no solid development. I thought it was really interesting, though, that they... How do you... Like, you went to that much... Yeah. Yeah. I don't say desperation, but when you have nothing else, what is there to lose? Right. But how how do you You feel about that? How do you feel about that when psychics... When police go to psychics? Like, how do you feel? Are you yay or nay? I'm either way. Yeah? Okay. I mean, I don't see anything... Like, if you... if. There's somebody that has an indication. It's something that I have never heard before. Mm-hmm. Let's go look. Yeah, that's true. What's what's it going to hurt? No. You know? You're right. So one psychic made a reference to a lake where they did end up finding a car, but there was no connection. Wow. Another psychic referred to a private property where ground-penetrating radar was used. Mm-hmm. They found bones, but that was later discovered to be an animal. At one point, in a home in Five Points had its floors ripped up. After new tenants complained of a foul odor, again, this was a dead end. Mm -hmm. So, by the end of the 1990s, the Dinwiddies stayed hopeful, but started to come to terms with not getting answers. You know, with every phone call, they would have anticipation, and they just kind of got, came to terms with, not every phone call is going to have an answer. Uh So, to allow Drew, the brother, who was seven years younger than Dale, to have freedoms and, like, where the parents would be, like, not so restrictive with him because it wasn't his fault his sister went missing, right? Right, right. But allow him to kind of grow up, have his own freedoms. Amidst this tragedy, Dan and Jean did let him do things that he wanted to do, go out, but he did have to carry a pager and then eventually a cell phone uh-huh. in order to have a way to contact his parents right away. Yeah. Fast forward to March of 2003, 11 years after Dale's disappearance. Mm-hmm. The family is still reaching out to news outlets, trying to keep Dale's case in the headlines, especially on the anniversary of her disappearance or on her birthday. With the safe return of then 15-year-old Elizabeth Smart, the Dinwiddies kind of had a little re-spark of hope going, of course. she's been missing for so long. What if Dale's still out there? Yeah. Dan was quoted saying, to give up hope is almost like denying there's a possibility that your child will come back or be brought back, end yeah. quote. Yeah. They had just one of the things when I was researching the story is yeah. the parents have never lost hope. Oh my God. This is just breaking my heart. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> I know. Can't. <laughs> I need a tissue box is what I need. So 2012, Sled then made an age progression photo of Dale. And I've got a picture of it on the drive. Okay. She would have been 43 years old. And when Sled put this out, Jean, the mother, was quoted, To us, Dale will always look like she's 23 years old. That's our memory of her. Hmm. End quote. 
So as of 2017, investigative records fill an entire filing cabinet and then three more boxes. Uh The search has led investigators, as I mentioned, dig up bones that belong to an animal, check properties with ground penetrating radar, uh, search of a home which had a foul smell. And but basically beyond any of these investigative steps and all of the hundreds, if not thousands of interviews that they've done, Uh there's nothing to go on. Very, very little to go on. Then in 2017, again, SLED reported that a current sexual assault case in the Midlands region of South Carolina in which a victim allegedly told law enforcement the man who assaulted her told her, quote, that she reminded him of Dale Dinwiddie, end quote. Oh, wow. And that's just like eerie. You gave me chills. You just gave I know. me chills. Okay. <laughs> so by the time they actually, you know, kind of look into that, I'll get into that in a minute, uh-huh. but... March 2019, the Dinwiddie's hearts were shooketh again when 21-year-old Samantha Josephson vanished from the same place that Dale went missing in the Five Points area. Oh, my God. This was 26 years later. Now, Samantha Josephson, she got into a car, and she thought it was her Uber. It wasn't. Her body was found the following day in a wooded area where the suspect, Nathaniel Rowland, he lived. The tip apparently came in from social media. And Samantha's parents could not actually identify her in the morgue due to the amount of extent of her injuries. Like, there's a lot more to this. This is one of those cases that we may want to cover again. I remember this. This was only a few years ago. Did you ever hear about the case where a a college woman mistakenly got into a car she thought was her Uber and she ended up, her body was found the next day? No. It's horrible. Oh my God, no. But she she was, so Samantha was in the same place, like in that same like little intersection of five points. And it's called five points because five streets come together. Right. And make a point. (laughs) So that's like the five points area. (laughs) On the the nose. (laughs) You know, we'd be smart here. (laughs) So Samantha... Could not identify her body because of the extent of injuries, but she was identified through DNA. The autopsy revealed Samantha died as a result of multiple sharp force injuries. She was stabbed more than 30 times with a bladed weapon over and over again. There were stab wounds from her feet to her face. Samantha suffered numerous wounds evident on multiple parts of her body to include head, neck, face, upper body, leg, and foot. Now, when this story came out just a few years ago, Mom Jean said that she understands the emptiness that the Josephson family, Samantha's family, had felt. And she wondered 26 years prior, if social media was a thing, would they have at least Dale's body? Like, would they have enough information to be able to find out what happened to Dale? Yeah. And said, quote, it just seems like it's forever. We're still waiting and hoping that something will come up, end quote. Yeah. Theory remains that Dale was abducted and subsequently murdered or under very similar circumstances to Samantha Josephson. September 2020, there's a new speculation that Dinwiddie may have been taken by somebody that she knew, or at the very least, somebody who had been stalking her maybe for a long period of time. Uh And because she was a cautious person, Uh she wouldn't just... Like, I can see her being the kind of person that, like, if somebody tried to take her, Uh she would be screaming. Like, people would see something or hear something. Yeah. If it was somebody that she knew, especially if she was out looking for her friends. Yeah. You know? Uh Mm-hmm. I don't know. But there also were rumors that an arrest was imminent in relation to Dale's case. An attorney was named, and there were rumors that he may have been involved in Dale's disappearance due to a claim made by the woman who was being sexually assaulted. 
Right. He told her that she reminded him of Dale. The attorney was a politically connected and former South Carolina State Accident Fund director, Harry Gregory. Mm -hmm. Police raided his home in connection with a separate ongoing child sex investigation. Oh, my God. Yeah. In March of 2021. So they're like, this guy, we need to figure out what the fuck this guy's doing. Yeah. It's a bad dude. Yeah. So in addition to this sexual assault case. Gregory has since been charged with multiple counts of committing lewd acts on a minor between 2002-2004. According to, uh, you know, kind of information in some of the the news articles on this case, it was referred to the South Carolina Attorney General, Mm -hmm. Alan Wilson, who will basically determine whether to handle it personally or hand it off to a solicitor. Apparently, this guy has some sort of, like, connection to it, especially if he's in, if he's a South Carolina attorney. You know, they have to recuse themselves right. from investigations, right? However, in the case of Dale Dinwiddie, no charges were brought against Gregory. There was not enough credible information from the victim, basically, to say that she wasn't a credible witness. And they didn't have any other evidence to link him to Dale's disappearance. Yeah, he was also a very powerful man to accuse. Yeah. Oh, my God, this case is breaking my heart. Napoleon's penis. Napoleon's penis. <laughs> I, need, I, need some, I need, like, something light right now. Napoleon's penis. <laughs> okay, go. So law enforcement says there's no connection. Uh-huh. However, there is speculation that that is just the official narrative and that they are p- possibly covering up part of their investigation regarding Dale Dinwiddie, but that's just speculation. Yeah. Now, September 2022... Just like a little over a year ago. Yeah. Richland County Sheriff's Office started working on a new lead in the case. Sheriff Leon Lott has been working this case since he was elected in 1996. He's been the sheriff as long as I've been here. And said this of the latest developments. Quote, the Dinwiddies have never given up hope and we haven't either. End quote. Good. He also mentioned that the case was, quote unquote, very active. Oh, Okay. So the Dinwiddies are still searching for answers and won't stop until they bring Dale home. Dad said, quote, somewhere somebody knows where Dale is or what happened to her, end quote. And then he said, quote, I think about it every day in some way, but we're not obsessed with it. It's just always there, though, end quote. Yeah. Now, college photos, like this picture behind me, that's Dale. Yes. uh, And one of the many, many, many posters that went up all a lot of pictures like this all remain throughout the Dinwiddie's home and her parents think Mm -hmm. about her memories and what they should have been allowed to experience dad said quote we don't have any of dale's children we don't have grandchildren yeah we were not allowed to see her become a mature woman who could function in our society today we miss all that end quote oh my god the Dinwiddie's also hope that dale's story will remind young people to be more thoughtful and careful when they go out to places and just kind of out and about in their everyday lives mm-hmm. and they don't want any other families to face the heartache that they have yeah as of today dale would be 54 years old she was described as having brown hair brown eyes last known height was five foot last weight was about 96 pounds she was last seen wearing an olive green long sleeve shirt, faded blue jeans, and brown shoes, either like boots or sneakers. I saw a couple of different descriptions. Mm-hmm. She may not have her inhaler with her. I mentioned she had really bad asthma. She had her ears pierced. She has dimples on her face, blonde highlights in her hair. One finger on each of her hands is also a little deformed. It's like a slightly curved. Mm-hmm. Since the night of Dale's disappearance, the search for the Columbia native has spanned thousands of miles. Police have reviewed more than a thousand tips 
and the now detective Kevin Eisenhower has been by the family side filling them in on every new lead that they have to include the one that just came up like a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I did not see any resolution to this. So I, maybe it's still ongoing. Yeah. But Detective Eisenhower said, quote, if you could imagine the roller coaster that their emotions have been for this entire time, every time they got a call like that, every time they get a tip, they go through it again and again, and then they reach out to police. They get their hopes up. With no crime scene, there's no clues for investigators to evaluate. Dinwiddie family continues to remember and agonize over the disappearance of a daughter, a sister, and a friend, end quote. And Drew, the brother, was also quoted saying that we want answers worse than anything. He was only 16 at the time of his sister's disappearance. And he said, quote, we haven't forgot about Dale and we won't, end quote. The case remains open and unsolved into what happened to Dale. Over the years that followed, police looked into a number of different leads and potential suspects. Now, one person that police were investigating uh-huh. is Ronaldo Javier Ray, like Ray was his nickname, uh-huh. Rivera. Okay. He was convicted of murdering four Georgia women and was also charged with the murder of a police officer. Oh my God. <laughs> Originally from Puerto Rico, Ray was a Navy pilot with an exemplary record. Mm. He was convicted of the police officer's murder in 2004. He was sentenced to death plus seven life terms for related crimes. Now, at the time of Dale's disappearance, Ray was a USC student as well. And there is a possibility that Ray is not only involved with the kidnapping, but also for the disappearance of another lady named Paula Merchant. Oh, my God. However... Charges have not been filed in the case of Paula or Dale, and any subsequent interviews that they've had with Ray have not been fruitful. He's like, I'm already on death row. Like, what? I'm not going to tell you anything, oh. you know? So Sheriff Leon Lott says, if money is the motivation, the department is still offering a $20,000 reward to anyone who could bring closure to this case and to the Dinwiddie family. Still, the fact that law enforcement agencies are continuing to leave no stone unturned in this case is very, very reassuring. If you out there, listeners, chatter, have any information, please contact the Crime Stoppers at 888-CRIME-SC or submit a tip to www.midlandscrimestoppers.com. And that's my story. Wow. <laughs> okay. That's heartbreaking. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is yeah. heartbreaking. It's so... And it's like... We've never done a cold case like this where we don't have a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where it's still unsolved? I don't think we have, yeah. No, this is the first, and that is heartbreaking. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Oh, my God. And Yeah, it's it, it was – this is – of the multiple, multiple, multiple stories and articles and, you know, some of the research and stuff that it, it was just saying the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah. There's n- no new information. Now, yeah. you've got this Ray guy who's a potential suspect. I mean, even the attorney, mm. Gregory, was – supposedly not considered a suspect in this but it was very high up in the south carolina state government so you never know right maybe being going to jail for molesting children is enough but still this family deserves closure if he is a part of it yes just some of the like i said all the other leads like they've gotten so many leads and it's gone just nowhere so if you guys are listening if you're in south carolina if you know anything about this case Please, please reach out. Call the Crime Stoppers. Mm-hmm. Call us. Yeah, we'll get, we'll, we'll pass the information on mm-hmm. um, because the fam the Dinwiddie family deserves closure. Yeah. Yes, they do. It's just so crazy how people can just disappear. I know. I think today it would be harder, but sure. Thinking about like the pl- I've never been to four, uh, Five Points, mm-hmm. the place that you're speaking of. Mm-hmm. I've never been there, but the way you describe it, it seems like it's a very active mm-hmm. location, mm-hmm. huge nightlife area. 
had had a few nights there myself. (laughs) (laughs) So I would think that, like, by the time the other girl went missing, what was her name? Johnston or... Oh, oh, Samantha Josephson. That That was in 2019. Okay. Well, one of the things that brought up the memories for the family was the return of Elizabeth Smart. So still, like, kind of reigniting their hope. And that was in 2003. And then they did a photo rendition of her picture, which would have shown her 20 years older. So Mm -hmm. at the age of 43... Yeah. In 2017, I think is when the initial allegation of the attorney came out, but that one didn't go anywhere until about 2020, 2021, when he was investigated for multiple, multiple, multiple things. Yeah. And in those kind of cases, I mean, somebody with that high up, like law enforcement would have to like, one, get other agencies involved, two, every T's got to be crossed, every I's got to be dotted, like very, very careful in making sure that any evidence that they collect early on if it's bad, mm. all the evidence could be thrown out. That's the fruit of the poisonous tree. Mm-hmm. If, you know, so from the get-go, any evidence that they would have to collect would have to be done in a manner to be able to be prosecutable. Yeah. For five points, I would think, like, today, it would be heavily monitored with cameras. Mm-hmm. So we, I've done, actually, a couple of cases where we've gone down there. And I'm trying to think. There's one that actually, that sparks my mind. Mm. There was a guy that was a son of somebody who was prominent in the area, but he was belligerent and started getting in, into a fight with a guy who, like, the, the belligerent guy was hitting on this woman. Right. And the woman happened to be a very popular news anchor from Columbia, South Carolina. Oh. So her boyfriend was like, no, you need to get out. Yeah. Like, go away. The boyfriend was pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. He lost his balance hit his head and ended up being in a coma for like three weeks well the boyfriend was a military guy uh-huh so we got involved right and, <laughs> and i don't think he nothing ended up happening to him the guy didn't die but law enforcement was looking at murder charges like wow. if, this, if he was going to pass away it would be like a accidental manslaughter yeah hmm. mm-hmm. the military guy was a pilot here and yeah, so that's one of the cases that comes to mind. But I've been down there in that area. We, there were cameras. like, yeah. And this this probably would have been, I don't know, eight to ten years ago. I mean, there was cameras all over the place, cameras in other businesses across, like, uh-huh. that might have been seen. Because you could see the guy, like, shoving him and pushing him. Well, you could see the, the guy that ended up getting injured being very drunk and obnoxious. Right. Right. And you can see the boyfriend... The military guy pushing this guy out, like, out of the establishment. Mm-hmm. And then you could see the cameras from a, a business across the street that kind of caught everything else where he pushed him down. Or he kept pushing him. Right. The guy lost his balance, fell backwards, and, and hit his head. But his his head was so swollen that they had to take off part of his skull. Oh, my. Because of the swelling. God. They didn't think he was going to make it. Yeah. It was, like, really, really, really bad. Been... And he was, like, the son of a senator or somebody, like, in the state level, like, high government. Yeah. Still, so Still could be a dipshit. Well, I know. No, absolutely. You <laughs> fuck around with the wrong person, you find <laughs> out. Fuck around and find out. Fuck around and find mm-hmm. out. Oh, my God. Okay, so you broke my heart, and next time we do an unsolved, I need a box of tissues. Oh, my God. Well, thank you for doing yeah. that. Thank you for doing that. You're and, welcome. And, and, keep, and thank you, Debbie. Yeah, thank you, Debbie, and let's keep her name kind of in, you know, in conversation yes. and not forget. Yes. Oh, yes. well. I'll be sure to make sure the phone number, website, all that is linked. Yes. yes. And she is so beautiful. I can't believe mm-hmm. how young she looks. Yeah. Well, she was 23 in this picture. She looks very and like young. Like I said, 
on the drive, we'll have a picture of the age-generated yes. picture that, that Sled did. She would be 54 today. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, but because we don't, we don't want to leave you hanging, chatters, for more information on this case, please check out After That Crime Chat, yes. only available on Patreon. And don't forget to follow us on our socials, Crime Chat with Nat and Kat, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, mm-hmm. TikTok, X. See what we got going on. <laughs> X. I'm not, I gotta get used to saying X. I, I don't like it. X. Makes it, makes it feel dirty. I know. Thanks. Thanks, Elon Musk. I know. Make me feel dirty. Make me feel dirty. Um, well, he's a trillionaire, so it's okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Crime Chat with Nat and Cat. when you become a VIP chatter like Debbie is to our Patreon, you'll have bonus yes. episodes, behind the scenes, bloopers, and free merch. And check out some merch in the works for season three. Be sure to check out our next episode. But as a reminder, we do skip the first Saturday of each month mm-hmm. to bring you more of yes. Dark Minds, Evil Crimes, Occasionally the Unknown, Occasionally the Unmissing, right. Occasionally the Really Bad Stories. Right. You don't. It's Natalie's turn next, so uh, it's got to be a good story. Right. Napoleon <laughs> Penis. <laughs> the infamous Napoleon Penis. Penis. You don't want to miss it. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, Bye. Chatter. <laughs>